Very good. Let's pray. O oh God, we trust in your power, even as it is often found in weakness. In your wisdom, even as it is expressed in seeming foolishness. In your wholeness, even as it comes to us amid brokenness. We do not ask this day for dazzling displays of strength, electric exercises of intellectual prowess, or marvellous manifestations of miracles. We come simply to worship you. Touch us this day, O Lord, sinners that we are, that we might become your saints, your body, your children, your church. For this temple of your spirit is built not upon our own abilities, knowledge, or restorative skill, but upon you. In Jesus Christ, amen. Before I get started today, I've asked David to read us Luke chapter 15. So I'm prepared to talk to you about the prodigal son. Thanks, David. Thank you. Luke 15, I'm in the King James Version. I'm reading it on my phone. I'm getting very modern. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having, in, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he finds it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbours, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbours together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine." And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. 
and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when, when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and the shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this was my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he has received, received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answered, and he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son has come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found." Amazing words. Before we get into talking about them, I like starting sermons sometimes with a bit of humour. My son and my wife may forgive me for this, but they may not. There was a fill-in preacher who was called up to Glen Innes in the northern tablelands of New South Wales in winter. And as he drove from the coast, a fierce storm blew in and there was an incredible blizzard. But he fought his way through the snow and made it to the little tiny stone church. And there in the car park was one car and a hole that had been dug out of the snow for him. He pulled in and went into the church. And as he's walking to the front of the church, he notices one old man in the front pew. And as he gets beside him, he says, I notice that the church is empty. The storm kept everybody away. He said, yep. He said, so do you want to hear my sermon? The old man looked up and says, I'm a simple farmer, but if one horse came to my barn, I'd feed it. So he nodded in sage forgiveness and went up to the lectern and started with his papers and then started to deliver his sermon. He got so passionately into his sermon, he forgot he was in a church with one man and got right into it. 
So towards the end of his sermon, he looked down at his watch and realised he'd been preaching for two and a half hours. I bet some of you are saying, I hope he doesn't do that today. So as he folds up his paperwork, he finishes his sermon and gets it all back into his suitcase or briefcase and walks down the front. And as he's passing the old man, he said, so what did you think of that? The old man looked up and said, I'm just a simple farmer, but if one horse came to my barn, I wouldn't feed it the whole load. (laughs) Who hasn't heard at least one sermon on the prodigal son? The church is silent. I bet there's hands up. No, there's probably not. Found in Luke chapter 15, as we heard this morning. Most messages focus on the love of the father who waits patiently for his wayward son to come to his senses after squandering his inheritance and compromising his integrity. To return home into the loving arms of his father. We marvel at this illustration of the grace and love of God our Heavenly Father, who runs to meet us the moment we turn our hearts back to him in repentance. This story has served as a great source of encouragement to parents, I can guarantee it, of wayward children. Not that I have one. He's a good theological student. As well as to those who have found themselves Far from God, I was one of them once, wondering if he or she could ever accept the love of God again and have him accept them. Who is this story for? Jesus told several parables before it, one of a lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son in response to the Pharisees and teachers of the law, muttering about the sinners Jesus chose to associate with. He wanted them to understand the intense love that God has for the lost and the rejoicing that takes place in heaven when a sinner repents. Is that the only lesson from this story? In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, Jesus shares another parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector, contrasting the pompous righteousness of the Pharisee with the humble repentance of the sinner, the tax collector. Notice why he shared this parable to some who were confident of their own righteousness and they looked down on everybody else. What an apt description of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. In general, they thought they were better than everybody else and from a legalistic religious standpoint, they were. They thought... They were the righteous ones 
and everyone else was beneath them. No wonder they were offended in chapter 15 of Luke that Jesus would dare eat with tax collectors and other serving sinners. So when Jesus told the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son in chapter 15, he used the opportunity to teach them about more than just the excessive love of God. Jesus took a swipe at their self-righteousness by including the description and reaction of the older brother. Why does the older brother matter? This is what we could term the elder brother syndrome. It's why we look at a reprobate, a bad sinner. That's it, reprobate. Get your tongue around that. A bad sinner. Took a theological student, did you notice that? And recognise his need of Jesus immediately, but fail to see the need of the prideful soul sitting in the front pew. Sorry, guys. Week after week and year after year, in the book, The Prodigal God, great book, by the way, by Tim Keller, the author claims most people fall into one of these two categories. The younger brother types are the ones who are adventurous and risk-taking, probably Ash. They distrust institutions like government and religion, shake off constraints and desire to experience all that life has to offer. When they sin, they sin big and bold. Everybody knows it. The elder brother types, though, are the rule keepers and people pleasers who work stable, predictable jobs, hold traditional values and are risk-averse, like Scott. Many faithful churchgoers are elder brother types who tend to see their type as good and the other type as bad. If only everyone could be more like them, they say, the world would be a better place. But Jesus' parable reminds us that the ones who are truly lost are the ones who don't realise their need. Characteristics of the elder brother in this parable and how we can make sure we don't fall into those traps. Pride, anger, resentment and indignation. My tongue's not working so well today. Firstly, he thought because he obeyed the rules, he deserved blessing. Have you ever found yourself asking God to heal someone because he or she deserved it or because he or she 
have been faithful for so many years? Have you caught yourself thinking you will make it to heaven simply because you go to church every week and you do not break any rules? We are prone to keeping a checklist and treating our salvation like a contract. If we just do enough of the right things, we will make it. That's how the older brother felt. All these years I've been slaving, he said, for you, yet you never gave me even a young goat. He was mad because he didn't think he was getting what he deserved for his faithful service. Have you ever felt shortchanged by God? Have you felt that your services have been overlooked and that you deserve a pat on the back? Has your pride puffed you up to the point where you think it's possible to earn God's grace and blessing? Secondly, his motive was to receive, not to show love. Certainly not to show love to his father. Perhaps the real reason the elder brother was so angry was because his younger brother had squandered half of the shared inheritance. Now that he's been welcomed back, they would both receive a slice from a much smaller pie when their father died. He didn't care about his father any more than his younger brother had when he demanded his inheritance while his father was alive. So for us, a relationship with our heavenly father should centre on pleasing him, loving him and growing closer to him. Even if it means we don't get everything we want. If you do not end up with a mansion on the hill in heaven and find yourself in a one-room apartment in the New Jerusalem, will you be disappointed? Are you serving God only for the promise of getting a crown or walking on streets of gold? Or do you want to know him more than you want another breath? Love for Jesus must be a starting point without loving only to get something, even if that something has been promised and is beneficial to everyone. Our motives must be pure. If you're only serving God so your spouse will return to you or so you'll get a better job or so he'll bless you financially, then your motives are tainted. 
love Jesus for who he is, not what he can give you. Thirdly, he thought his brother's sinfulness was unforgivable. The elder brother was indignant that this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, was the object of his father's affections and celebrations. His father might be willing to forgive him, but he wouldn't. His standards were higher than that. This sin was unforgivable. While the younger brother might be his father's son, he was no longer a brother to him. How pompous, how arrogant. But guess what? Christians do this all the time. They judge and hold past sins against one another. If the father has been wronged, sorry, if the father who has been wronged can forgive, why can't we? If God can forgive you, then you can forgive yourself. Your standards is not higher than God's. Fourthly, he resented his father's joy and refused to share in it. Think of the long, dark, heartbroken nights this father had spent worrying about his lost son. Think about his disappointment as days turned into months and perhaps years of longing for him to return. Now he is so full of love, the household and probably the town came to celebrate. And the elder son won't even come to the party. He didn't share his father's heart. He didn't share his joy. As Christians, our hearts should be broken by the things that break the heart of God. They should also be filled with joy by the things that bring joy to the Father. That means we need to know him and what he truly wants. We need to get on the same page as God and see the world through his eyes. I admit this is not always easy, but we are not on this planet to look out for ourselves or our own interests. We are here as his ambassadors to represent him to a world that is lost and in need of a relationship with him. If we cannot catch his heart and reflect it, then we don't know him as well as we need to. When we read the story out of context, we sometimes wonder why Jesus would talk about 
the elder brother at all. It feels like an interruption in the parable or an unnecessary add-on. There's a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. And then, meanwhile, the older son was out in the field. It's somewhat anticlimactic. There could be little doubt in the hearers' minds or in Jesus' hearers' minds that the muttering elder son was an illustration of the muttering Pharisees and teachers of the law who can find no pleasure in the repentance of sinners because of them and their own self-righteousness and indignation. While Jesus described his wayward son, they were probably disgusted by his actions. He didn't care about his father at all. He just wanted his money. He took off and indulged in one party after another without any thought of his father. That is, until he found himself penniless and feeding pigs. Thank God we are not like that, they said. It's the same attitude the Pharisee displayed in Luke chapter 18. In that parable, the Pharisee thanks God he is not like that humbled tax collector. And then he lists all of his religious accomplishments. When the elder son in this story, the prodigal son, tells his father, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. They were probably thinking, that's the tax collector, sorry, the other way around, the Pharisees and the makers of the law. Now there's someone we can relate to. He is the good one. But Jesus tags on the elder brother. Description to drive fully home that the younger brother wasn't the only one who showed disregard for the father. Both sons were lost. They were equally in need of being found. In the parable, the father actually went looking for the older brother just as the shepherd actively searched for the lost sheep and the woman searched for the lost coin until she found it. The brother who was truly lost was the one who thought he wasn't. In his self-righteousness, he had neither love nor mercy for his brother. Notice he did not call him my brother, when he spoke to their father, he called him this son of yours. The parable suggests he knew some details of his brother's activities. Yet there had been no mission of mercy to rescue him and bring him home. If one has never known the need for mercy, for himself, he is not about to show mercy to others. 
his own brother. Being alive and well meant nothing to him. You want to ask something like, are you a member of this family? Do you feel nothing that your father feels? In his self-righteousness, his service was nothing more than a joyless servitude. I heard once that God's grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Jesus on the cross is my brother, and I hope yours too, dying not for the righteous, but for sinners. This parable told by Jesus is the story of three sons. There was the lost son, who returned home. There was the son who was lost at home. Lastly, there was the son who told the story. The son who left home to seek and rescue his lost brothers. It is the story of three brothers. This is the great irony that many of us miss The one who told the story is our brother who left his father's house to bring home his lost brothers. Jesus left his father's house and went to seek and save the lost for his father. He was the opposite to the elder brother in this parable. That elder brother watched his father mourn over his son who had gone astray. But he did not go after him for his father. He was not there when his brother's funds ran out. He was not there when his younger sibling hit rock bottom. He was not there at the swine trough saying, come on, brother, let's go home. What did Jesus say over and over again? For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Let's pray. Holy God, you have revealed yourself to us in a trinity of ways. As a powerful creator, a dying saviour and our comforting spirit. But we also know you as a loving parent, a risen Lord and a dynamic breath of fresh air. We're never really sure of how you are able to be all these things to us, but you are. And we praise you. You're an awesome God, limited only by our ability to understand. Teach us the grace of placing our limitations within the wonder of your unlimited hands. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.